Well, good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you here on YouTube and Facebook for our online Sunday gathering. This is our last installment in our latest teaching series, which I've been calling The Spirit of Liberation. And what we've been doing is trying to answer the question, what does it mean for us as Christians to be spiritual? We hear a lot of talk these days about people who consider themselves to be spiritual but not religious. And actually, that would describe a lot of people in our congregation here in the Oceanside Sanctuary. A lot of people who have really rejected the notions of religion or organized religion, but they still find themselves desiring to be a part of a spiritual community. And so we've just been trying to attempt to answer the question, what does it mean to be spiritual as people who are following after Christ but rejecting some form of religion, whatever that means, that isn't good for us, that isn't feeding us, that isn't healthy for us? And my approach to this series, as you know, if you've been following along, is to take a look at the book of Acts and to look for those places in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is mentioned. Because my idea here is that whatever it means to to be spiritual as Christians, it probably has something to do with connecting with the Spirit of God. And so we've gone through that series. We've had five weeks so far. This is our sixth and final installment. We're going to jump into my last possible answer to that question, what does it mean to be spiritual? But before we do that, As always, I want to ask that you, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting and watching this, let's take a moment, center our hearts and our minds, quiet ourselves as we prepare to enter into our text today and ask God to speak to us. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would Help us to tune into the ways that you are luring our hearts closer to you, the way that you are paving a new pathway for us, uh, either individually or as families or maybe as a whole congregation or as a community, whatever community we're a part of. We ask that you teach us to be sensitive to the direction that you are going as a spirit that we would be able to feel, as Jesus said, the effects of the wind, that wherever it's coming from, wherever it's going, that we would sense what it is that you are doing so we can join with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to invite you to jump into our final passage for this series. It's Acts chapter 13. Today we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 13, just three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3. And in some ways, this passage I think is going to sound a little bit familiar to you because it's very similar to a previous passage that we read from Acts chapter 6. And I think there's good reason for that. I think we're beginning to discern a pattern in how the Spirit of God is depicted in the book of Acts. And so just as a quick reminder, so far we've been answering this question, what does it mean for us to be spiritual? And I have said that there are at least five possible answers that I've noticed to that question. The first answer to that question is, it means to be passionate, right? So from Acts chapter two, I said that what we notice is that the Spirit of God seems to be this source 
For those who are connected to it, this source of passion or energy inside of us that we feel like we can't contain, it's this uh, fire shut up in our bones to use that language from the old Hebrew prophet Jeremiah. We have this strong compulsion to move forward in a certain direction. And then in week two, I said that a second possible answer to the question, what does it mean to be spiritual, is that we would have the courage to act on that passion or that energy, that conviction, in spite of threats to our well-being. And we looked at Acts chapter 4 and and how uh, John the Apostle and Peter the Apostle were able to withstand the threats that were coming against them and teach about the good news of Jesus in spite of how the ruling council in Jerusalem really told them not to. And then the third week, the third answer to the question that I gave you, what does it mean to be spiritual, is that I, I said I think it involves a certain trajectory, right? Is That is a certain direction that we are going in. And I said that from Acts chapter 5, we can discern that the Spirit of God seems to be going in a certain trajectory or a certain direction. And I said it was a lot like Martin Luther King Jr.'s phrase that, that the moral arc of the universe moves slowly, but it bends towards justice. And I said that that moral arc of the universe is what the Spirit of God is doing. And that when we are spiritual people, that we somehow see that arc, we see that trajectory or that direction, and that is where that passion and that courage are taking us. And then in week number four, uh, we took a, lot, a look at Acts chapter 5, and, and I said from Acts chapter 5 and uh, the story uh, that we found there that, that uh, another possible answer to that question was that to be spiritual means that we're willing to break with tradition or diverge from the normal order of things. And I said that sometimes that moral arc of the universe is taking us to places and to practices that sometimes break with the old way of doing things. And that, that's a lot of times where that courage comes in because when we're breaking with the order of things, when we're breaking with tradition, sometimes that's a threat to certain people and those people will then begin to threaten us. But I said that that courage allows us sometimes to step outside of the normal tradition of how we do things and to go where the Spirit is going. And then last week we took a look at our most recent passage uh, and we talked about Acts chapter 10 and how the Spirit of God was leading Peter to Cornelius's house we talked about how that was actually a really great example of breaking with tradition because God was beginning to include the Gentiles, a group of people who had previously been considered unclean or profane or an abomination, and that Peter demonstrated the courage to go where God was going to include the Gentiles. And so that's a, a further example of breaking with tradition when the Spirit of God goes somewhere new. But last week I said that what we really learned from that passage is that oftentimes the Spirit of God is evident in people's lives and that that validates what the Spirit of God is doing. In other words, how do we know when it's okay to break with tradition? How do we know when that's the right thing to do, even though it breaks with uh, years or decades or even centuries of how things have been done? And I said the answer to that question is that the character that is manifested in our lives by the Spirit of God is a witness to what God is doing. So those are our five 
potential answers to that question so far. Passion, courage, trajectory, divergence, and character. I think all of these things are hallmarks of what it means to be spiritual people. And I think that when we talk about people being spiritual, oftentimes that's exactly what we mean. We mean people who are pursuing a passion, they're doing it with courage, they're going in a very particular direction. It involves a lot of courage because oftentimes it breaks with the old way of doing things. And we tend to trust those people when they display character in their lives. And so we see that their lives are a reflection of goodness and integrity. And so we trust them, even though there's a breaking with the old way of doing things. Today, what I wanna do is give you a final answer to this question, what does it mean to be spiritual? Today's uh, answer comes from Acts chapter 13. I just wanna read three verses to you and show you what I'm seeing, what I'm noticing in this passage, and then invite you obviously, as always, to share what you might be noticing too. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 says this, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then verse three, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now this is, again, I think a familiar sounding passage because what we have happening here is very similar, you might notice, to what we saw happening earlier in Acts chapter six when Stephen was being chosen with a bunch of other people to be deacons, to be folks who would begin to serve uh, the hungry that the church was working with so that the apostles could continue to teach and preach. And we talked all about the story of Stephen. And what we discussed that week, of course, was that Stephen stepped outside of his job description. He began to diverge from the normal order of things. But what I want you to notice in this passage is that what this is similar to is how Stephen was chosen in Acts chapter 6. There's a very familiar thing happening here, and we see it happening right from the beginning in verse 1, right? So now in the church in Antioch, there were all of these people, it says, who were gifted prophets and teachers. So we have a whole group of people, it lists them by name. A whole group of people in this early version of the church in Antioch, and they were people whose gifts, whose character, whose ability to move effectively with the Spirit of God and produce good, reliable outcomes, these people had engendered some trust in the community. People recognized them, in other words, as teachers. People recognized them as those who were prophetic. And just like in Acts chapter 6, there's a kind of selection process going on here. So look at verse 2. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, what in the world is going on here? Here again, we have the, the appearance of this other character, this other person, this other figure that the book of Acts refers to as the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. And the text very simply and without any kind of explanation says 
that these people who were worshiping and fasting together, it says they heard the Holy Spirit say this thing, set apart these two people, Barnabas and Paul, for the work that I have prepared for them. Now, what's exciting about this passage is the idea that to be spiritual in the Christian tradition means that we may have the ability to hear from God in some way. And that is, of course, an exciting prospect. I think part of what it means to be spiritual is to have this sense that we are connected intimately and deeply to something bigger than us. We, of course, have all kinds of word for that. We have God, we have the divine in the Christian tradition, and we talk about Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, but what we're always doing is we're trying to put forth this idea that we are connected to something bigger than us, something that is good and righteous and true. And here in this text, it says that this group of people who were worshiping together, they heard from this something bigger. That's exciting. It's thrilling to think that we might, as human beings, have a connection to God or the Spirit or the divine presence in our midst that, that, we, that we are having this sense of passion and energy that, that is being placed inside of our hearts or inside of our minds or feels like it's shut up inside of our bodies. That's an incredible possibility. But it's also a bit scary, right? It's a bit terrifying to read that they heard the Holy Spirit say these very specific words and not give us any explanation for what that looks like or how that works. And the trouble with that, of course, is, is that if you live for very long in this life and in this world, you will run into all kinds of people who say that they heard from God, who claim to speak for God, or worse yet, they will claim to speak for God to you in order to tell you what you should or should not be doing. And if you're anything like me, you have run into lots of people who have made that claim, and oftentimes it doesn't turn out well. Oftentimes those relationships turn out to be toxic or unhealthy or abusive in some way. And sometimes, of course, the people in our world who are the folks who claim to be hearing from God are people that we clearly, plainly can see are not healthy at all. And so what do we make of this, and how do we make sense of this as people who are seeking to be spiritual, to be connected to God, and trying to understand how that works in our lives. I've seen that kind of uh, sort of abuse and untrustworthy display of claims of hearing from God in a lot of different ways in my life, and I'll bet you have too. I remember a few years ago, Alex and I were working here at the church, and we were actually working out in the parking lot. We were cleaning up. Uh, doing some painting or something like that. I can't remember what we're always doing, little, little projects around here at the church, trying to keep our old building in good shape. And we were out there working together with, a, I think, a few other people. And all of a sudden, right in front of the church, the street right in front of us, a car was driving down the street and stopped, like screeched its brakes, stopped right in the middle of the street in front of the church. And the driver's side door opened and a woman jumped out, an older woman, must have been maybe in her 60s or something like that. She jumped out of the car and she just left the car running in the middle of the street and the door wide open and she began to walk purposely across the street right towards Alex. And Alex noticed her and he said, uh, hello there, what can I do for you? And she said, are you the pastor here? 
And Alex said, well, I'm one of the pastors. What can I do for you? And I was kind of a distance away, so I couldn't quite hear what they were saying, but I could see from their body language that she began to be very animated. And Alex, who, as you know, if you know Alex personally, is very friendly, very welcoming, I noticed that he began to sort of shrink back. His body language was telling me that she was maybe not such a safe person. And so I went over there, and as I approached, Alex turned and he said to her, well, here's the senior pastor. You probably want to talk to him. And Alex booked it out of there as quickly as he could. And so I walked up to her and I said, hi, my name's Jason. What can I do for you? And she took a deep breath and she thrust out her hand and she shoved a pile of like pamphlets in my hand. And she began to say, you see that man in the car behind me? And I looked over and there was an older gentleman in the passenger seat. She said, that is prophet so-and-so. And he's one of the two witnesses spoken about in Revelations. And then she just went on a long tirade of almost inexplicable words and sentences that were probably meant to convince me that that person in that car was somebody that I should be giving my allegiance to. And she just talked and talked and talked and talked and the ends of her sentences didn't create any pauses at all. And so I had a hard time getting a word in edgewise, but finally she reached the end of her little speech. She took a deep breath as if she was gonna say something else. And I just said, you know what? It's okay, I don't need these. And I handed the pamphlets back to her. And she said, well, you're gonna need that information because if you don't repent, then you and everybody in your church are going to hell. And I just smiled and I looked at her and I said, we don't believe any of what you just said. And then her eyes got big and she took another deep breath and she began to talk and she said, this is prophet so-and-so. And, -so. and I, I said, you know, I just don't believe that. I don't think he is a prophet. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And she, you know, was very upset because I didn't believe her and I didn't receive her stuff. And she went back into the car, slammed the door and took off. Now, these are the sorts of things that happen all the time if you hang around very long at a church. And oftentimes these sorts of things don't happen in the street outside the church. They happen inside the building and they happen with people who are part of the church. I've been a part of churches like that. And one of the things that I've noticed is that people, especially in religious traditions, but not only in religious traditions, I've noticed that people tend to use titles and they tend to use words. And when titles and words don't work, they tend to use volume in order to gain illegitimate authority and power over us. Maybe you've noticed that too. Maybe you've noticed that there are certain people in this world who seem to want to have power and control over you, and they tend to use official titles, uh, you know, really impressive sounding titles, or perhaps they string together words in, in ways that seem confusing or impressive or or maybe when that doesn't work, they raise their voice in the hopes that you will finally give in and give them power over your life. And the reason that they do that, of course, is because real power, real authority is given by consent. Real power can never be taken by force. It can never truly be achieved through manipulation or coercion. 
real power only comes by consent because real power and real authority are the things that we give to the people that we trust. When somebody has demonstrated that they are trustworthy, that they care about you, that they love you, that they're going to be careful with you, that's when we give them authority over our lives. And doing that is hard. Demonstrating to somebody else that you are trustworthy, that you care about them, that you will not harm them, and proving that to them over a period of time, months, years, or even longer, that is how real authority is created. And people who desire power don't want to do that. And so they try to force that consent out of you by using some of those other means. Now, I share that story with you because I want you to notice that something different is happening in this passage. What's happening in this passage is that authority is being given, but it's not being given in a coercive or manipulative or unhealthy way. Authority here isn't being gained in a way that is unhealthy or immature or arrogant or abusive. And it's not being given to people who are unaccountable. Instead, there's a very different process at work here. And I want you to see how that's happening. In verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... I want to pause there and just point out that this group of people who heard from God... This group of people who believe that God told them to set aside Paul and Barnabas, what they were doing before they ever heard from God was they were worshiping and they were fasting. In other words, they were being careful and cautious about the whole idea of hearing from God. They took the time to turn their attention to God. They took the time to turn their attention to what is good, what is right, what is true, And they engaged in a spiritual practice of fasting so that they could be focused on what was good and right and true. These are not people who simply arrogantly or cavalierly claim to hear from God. Instead, they are going about it in a very careful and very intentional way. The second thing that I want you to know about, notice about this is that the people who were engaged in this were engaged in deep relationships of trust, so much so that they knew each other, they knew each other's gifts, and they knew each other's character. So back in verse 1, it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Menaean and Saul. These are people that they knew to be prophets, and teachers, people who had proven themselves. So not only were they being careful about how they approached the process of hearing from God, but they were doing it in a community of trust. They were doing it alongside other people who they knew to be trustworthy. And the third thing that I notice about this we see in verse 2 and 3 Verse 3 says this, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So not only do they hear from God, not only are they hearing from God in a community of trust, not only are they engaged in this process of trying to hear from God very carefully, 
But once they do believe that together they have heard from God, they come together and they take responsibility for Paul and Barnabas and the work that they're about to send them into. In other words, they are hearing and discerning the voice of the Spirit of God together, and they're acting and taking responsibility for what they heard together. All of this really shows me that the way the early church in the book of Acts approached the whole process of being connected to the Spirit of God and hearing from God and then acting on what they believe they heard, that entire process is done deeply in community so that they will not step outside of their genuine authority in ways that hurt and harm and abuse other people. There are safeguards built into this whole process. And this, I think, brings us to our final answer, what does it mean to be spiritual? And this actually is, I think, where our observations about what it means to be spiritual become especially Christian. Because up to this point, we've really talked about ways that we are spiritual that really are experienced on an individual level. But this week, what we see is that the whole process of discernment happens in a trusting, interdependent community of people who are gathered around the teachings of Jesus. And so the final answer to the question, what does it mean to be spiritual in our tradition in Christianity? I think it means to discern the voice of God in community and to distribute the authority of God in community. And we do this specifically to guard against authoritarianism and abuse when people try to coerce power from us or use that power against us. I love the way that Dallas Willard describes this in his book, Hearing God. He talks about this idea that we as spiritual human beings, as followers of Jesus, have the ability to hear from God. He talks about how we can learn to cultivate the ability to really be connected to the Spirit of God. But he says this in that book, and I love this quote. He says, When facing the mad religionist or the blind legalist, we have no recourse, no place to stand if we do not have firsthand experience of hearing God's voice held safely within a community of brothers and sisters in Christ who also have such knowledge of God's personal dealings with their own souls. I love that quote because what Dallas Willard is really describing there is a sense of spiritual solidarity. We come together as fellow followers of Jesus, convinced that we can discern the presence of the Spirit of God and discern the direction of the Spirit of God and receive the passion and the courage of the Spirit of God and act in ways that break with tradition, but we recognize the danger in all of that. We recognize the risk that to delude ourselves as individuals that we can hear from God on our own or worse yet, speak for God on our own. Because we recognize that danger and that risk, instead we come together and we do it in community. 
depending on each other's discernment, leaning on each other's understanding, and acting within the safety and the comfort and the knowledge of a community that is doing it together. I'm curious what you are noticing from these passages as well. We've been talking for six weeks about what it means to be spiritual. So my question for you today as we wrap up this series is how are your ideas of what it means to be spiritual changing and growing and evolving? Do you think of yourself as a spiritual person? And if so, what does it mean to you to be spiritual? What are you learning about how to be a spiritual follower of Christ today? I wanna leave you with those questions. Pop into the comments on Facebook or YouTube. Share your insights, your own observations, and encourage each other today. In the meantime, I want to ask, as always, that you just close with me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you again for today. We thank you for this opportunity for us to gather and to be connected to each other, even at a distance. We pray that you would teach us to become people who enter into a relationship with you that is both personal and communal at the same time, that we would be people who have a deep sense that you have moved in our lives to impact and affect us on a personal level, but that you have drawn us into a community of trust that we can lean upon as we seek to discern what it really means to hear your voice and to follow after you. We humbly pray that you would do that work in us in Jesus' name. Hey everyone, good morning. We have a couple quick announcements for you before you head off today. The first one is you're gonna see that QR code on the bottom right hand corner. You can open up your phone, scan it, and you can follow all of these announcements with me. So if you're new, we would love to connect. We'd love to get to know you more. You can again, scan our QR code, fill out some details, or head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org contact. Next up is our Justice Works meeting is happening on July 11th, right after church. So in person, after church. And our Justice Works team works really hard on local issues that are affecting North County in San Diego, specifically on police reform, climate change, and homelessness. So if you're interested in that, if you wanna put your faith in action, we'd love to see you at that meeting. Next up, we have our call and response monthly scripture study on Thursday, July 22nd at 6.30 p.m. This is where we come together as a church, whoever wants to join and discuss scripture in a way where you're encouraged to ask questions, encouraged to look at it a little differently maybe than you have before, and mainly just enter into a group dialogue together. So join us for that. Thursday, July 22nd. And last, Janelle, who has taken over our family ministries, is putting together this amazing week of service, week of service activities for junior high and high schoolers starting July 19th through the 23rd. So basically for a whole week, every day, there are different things that these youth are gonna do to impact our community like helping with food pantries here in North County, um, cleaning up the beach. There's gonna be a fun pool day at the end of the week. So this is a really great opportunity if you have high schoolers or junior hires to 
get involved, really make a difference, and meet some new people from other churches as well. And lastly, of course, as always, we are a nonprofit 501c3, and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. And if you can, if you're able, whatever you can, we would love for you to make a gift to our organization today to help us continue doing the work that we're doing here in North County and beyond. So you can head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org give, or again, you can scan the QR code for this and all of the other announcements mentioned today. All right, everyone, have a beautiful week. Uh, it's been great to see some of you in person. It's great to interact with a lot of you still here as well. And we'll see you next week right here on Facebook and YouTube. Peace.